Welcome to Between the Bytes, weekly discussions on cybersecurity news, business updates, and leadership ideas. I'm Gary Arnold. I'm Derek Parkinson. And I am James Fair. The Three Musketeers, dynamic trio, the whatever we call ourselves, here again. I like it. This week, we're covering more cybersecurity news. I guess we do wish that we didn't have to do it this way. We wish we could talk about more mundane things. We could talk about IT 101. Some positive things. We could talk about, you know, how does a router work? No kidding. (laughs) That would be great. Future episode when bad things don't happen. But unfortunately, here we are. And there are several cyber-related news stories that we want to cover. And of course, we want to make you aware of and offer, as always, takeaways or tips for better security based on what's happened. So let's dive right in. In the past week, there were a couple of them. One of them was kind of big, at least a big name. I don't know if the impact was as big as some of the other breaches or hacks that we've seen, but LastPass sent out their press release that they had suffered or had some sort of breach. James, why don't you break that down? Tell us what went down there. Yeah. First of all, shout out to them for being open about it, right? We've talked about many times how If we would all be more open about this, we could all learn from each other's mistakes, unfortunately, but and make it a much more secure environment. And that's the first step is being open and honest about that. So, you know, shout out to LastPass for that. I haven't looked at market share, but I'm pretty sure they are one of, if not the biggest password manager provider out there, at least for the United States. So this was a big deal. They found attackers in the development system which we've seen in other huge attacks. We think of SolarWinds, Kaseya, those were you know, related to attacks in the development system itself. So someone was in there, they did manage to steal some source code out of LastPass. Fortunately, and again, according to the reports, what we're going off of, no one's credentials were lost, no master passwords were gained. It was access to source code through some compromised credentials from one of their developers. So got a hold of some source code, which isn't great. This is a proprietary intellectual property from LastPass. Hopefully it's secure enough that even with the code information, they won't be able to use it to crack LastPass or anything like that. So it feels pretty benign, at least to begin with. And of course, they're ensuring more security measures and they brought in a forensics team and this kind of thing. And again, we're going off the report that was announced, but shout out to them, man, for being open and honest about it. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a theme we've covered on and definitely something we advocate for, even maybe at the policy level of of implementing is more mandated reporting. You said compromised credentials was kind of the cause of this one. Do we know if we have specifics around that? Just that was a single developer's account that got compromised. And how they got past something like MFA or things like that, I have no idea. There's nothing in there about that. Just says one developer account got compromised. So Makes me wonder, did they have MFA on? (laughs) Surely they did. (laughs) So how did someone get past that? Did they remotely control the machine? You know, how do you get MFA? That should be fairly tough to get past. So a little concern there, but there are not a whole lot of details beyond what we were provided by the CEO. And it kind of goes to show both with this, with LastPass, and what we'll talk about in just a minute here at the Okta Breach. Even the companies, the organizations that you would expect to be some of the most secure anywhere, because that's what they deal in is security, are still subject to human error, just like everybody else. And it doesn't matter how good your security is, how good your systems and processes are, it definitely helps. But if you're still not training and staying on top of your staff and their best practices, you're still vulnerable, just like everybody else. 
But as you say, the good news is that it was in a test environment that the hacker got into and not the actual product code itself. That was my understanding. It was in a test environment. Is that correct? No, it said they got direct access to source code, but it wasn't like, you know, user credentials. So that's better. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Unless, of course, the source code be, could be used to gain those. But again, if you can, it's my understanding, if you could develop something secure enough, there's it's plenty of open source tools out there just because you have access to the code doesn't necessarily mean that you can use that to attack someone or steal their credentials. This might be a question for, uh, you know, we've got some, this sounds like a, like a name drop or something. We've got friends at the FBI, but it does sound like something maybe we should ask our friends at the FBI. But how much is corporate espionage a thing? Like, you know, there's lots of fun movies and things where that's the theme, but this almost feels like that. It's like somebody was going in to try and get proprietary how you're doing your software, how you're building your application so that we could rip it off or whatever. Probably not the case here necessarily, but is that a thing? I mean, that's also part of the cyber landscape for, for many corporations, I imagine. Yeah, it's been a big thing. There's been, when we talked about the podcast about the fake interviewees, mm. that they were going in and infiltrating you know, organizations, there are countries who encourage their citizens to join other countries infiltrate infrastructure and code developers and things like this in order to steal secrets. So in my experience as a hiring manager, it may have happened to me where we hired someone from a competing organization. They stuck around to get through the training portion, the onboarding process, and then within a week they were gone. And the whole thing just felt so off. It had a, a really weird vibe to it. The reasons that were cited were like, oh, I was, I was sick and I didn't disclose that during the interviewing process. And just the whole thing felt really wonky. And the person never updated their LinkedIn to say they'd switched jobs. They still had the old, the old competing company's information on LinkedIn. So could that have been an example of corporate espionage? Absolutely. I don't know for certain it was, but it, it was my first experience where something certainly could have been. And it made me kind of open my eyes. I was a little... I don't know. I'm a pretty trusting guy by default, although it's hard to tell from this podcast. But when it comes to people, I want to really, I want to trust people. I want to believe people. And so it's hard for me to believe that anyone's coming here maliciously or to steal data. But that is absolutely something we have to keep in mind because it unfortunately does happen out there. So you're saying it's not best practice to quit your job when you get a cold. <laughs> Looks a little suspicious, maybe. I guess one of the ways, and I believe we've at least name dropped this, if not fully discussed it on the podcast before, is to combat that. One of the ways to combat that is making sure you have good, acceptable use policy in your organization. And I forget the actual term. Help me out here, James. But basically making sure user rights are appropriate to the role. Yeah, role-based permissions. And then if someone switches roles, those permissions go away segmenting. And of course, what we hear a lot these days is the zero trust environment. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing that, that everyone's being encouraged to move to as a zero trust, where regardless if your device is connected before, don't trust it. Everybody needs to log in multiple times in order to confirm that really is who they say they are. Captain Tangent here. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> but I know you've been in a lot of environments, worked with a lot of clients over the years, James, and I imagine probably hasn't come back to bite clients, but maybe a little bit. But again, along that theme emphasizing another maybe tactic that businesses and corporations should take is making sure you have a good onboarding and offboarding process that very much involves IT. I mean, how many times have you gone in to a directory of some kind? It's like, oh, so-and-so hasn't worked here for three years. 
but their email is still active or whatever it may be. I mean, that, that's kind of scary. Yep. Yeah, that's something I actually teach during the onboarding for our, for our group here. And not just that, but everybody wants to have their new employees have a flawless first experience. And when it comes to IT and setting up their computer or their desktop and all the things associated with that, it's, it could be hundreds and hundreds of steps. And as an IT person, if you miss any of those, like I'll never forget, it was the learning opportunity for me was we had this big venture capitalist firm we were working for, set up a new laptop for them. And they came back and they said, this person can't print. And they were totally bent about it. And I'm like, man, if you had any idea the thousand steps I went through to set this thing up, you wouldn't be so, so you know, worked up about this. But it was a big deal. And, and I realized that that's because they wanted their new employee to have a flawless first experience. Any errors or any steps, stumbles along the way, make it look as though the company doesn't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I said, let's create an onboarding checklist. I worked with the HR department and everything I do from installing Office to pinning Word to the task bar, you know, every bit of it used to be removing Edge and installing Chrome, right? <laughs> now we leave them both on. But everything, every single step, then I put on a checklist and HR added theirs as well. You know, add the person's picture to the, to the company website and order their phone, order their computer, whatever it is, this whole litany of things. So we'll work with HR departments now to create those. And when I go to set up a new laptop or desktop, I print one of those out and it's in front of everyone. So I can do multiple at the same time and I'm just checking boxes as I go to make sure I don't miss anything. And since I've been doing that, I don't have any of these one-offs where I've missed something. And conversely, when someone leaves, yeah, you got to make sure you've removed them, their email account. You have taken them off the email all distribution group. You've removed them from the copier button, whatever it is. It's a whole litany of things that IT must do to ensure no one is in there. And along with that, I encourage all of our employees to do a quarterly report on email users and Active Directory or, or computer users who still has active accounts. Send that to someone in the know, an HR person, point of contact, whoever it may be, and ask them, as everyone on this list, should they have access to it? Invariably, someone will come along and say, oh, I totally forgot. We fired so-and-so. I'm not going to name any names, right? But last month, we forgot to tell you, that kind of thing. So that's another way to follow up and make sure you're, you're really not missing anything. Because yeah, you don't want to find out a month from now, someone still has access, it shouldn't. Yeah, I think an exit checklist is just an, as important for company safety. I've been running ads on Facebook for almost 10 years now. The number of business manager accounts, the account that you use to run your ads through Facebook that I still have master admin level access to is absurd. One, it's actually annoying for me. I'm not able to remove myself. <laughs> it's not possible. Otherwise, I would because that means I still get all of the notifications for every single one of these accounts that I've got access to. I get the emails about their ads when they're running, when they're declined and everything like that. So I probably field on average about 70 emails from Facebook a day. And the majority of them are two accounts that I haven't worked for in two years, three years. Wow. Now, as far as malicious activity goes, there's not a ton I could do. I guess I could run Executech ads on everybody else's credit card and get away with that for a little while. But what if I was incompetent? What if I accidentally click on another person's ad account, create a whole campaign and start running ads with their credit card information? There's nothing they can do to have Facebook give the money back or anything like that. They'd have to come talk to us directly if they can get a hold of me and then try and convince me to give them money. And yeah, it's messy. And some of these accounts, like I said, are five plus years old and I still have admin access to them. 
because I can't take myself off. So yeah, it's it's really important to remove people. And I know, James, you've seen it plenty of times and we've talked about it on the show plenty of times of people who are terminated and they'll do things like delete spreadsheets, delete documents, delete billing history or steal other information, it's a serious risk. And even if you think that if you're a good manager and you always do your best to, even when you're letting somebody go to keep it on good terms, you just never know that other side of people that it's going to bring out. Great points. And uh, I appreciate, as always, you guys indulging my tangents. It's all part (laughs) of the educational process here. So I think rather than cover some of the other, unfortunately, again, there are multiple stories we could cover. We're going to leave it at that for today. I think it was a great topic to dive deeper into what happened with LastPass. I know my wife saw it and she freaked out a little bit because, you know, LastPass, that's a big name and a lot of companies, a lot of individuals use it. But again, the fortunate thing is that it doesn't seem to have had any additional impacts to us users, but still an important lesson in security in general. And just to recap there, I believe, you know, James, some of the big takeaways from this one that we ended up going down on is have a good onboarding process, have a good offboarding process and involve IT and keep a cyber mentality for that. And as always, enable multi-factor authentication. Any other closing (laughs) thoughts, James? As I mentioned, periodically check your work, right? We're, we're all humans. We make mistakes. So let's have somebody else or check our own work. At least quarterly, go in there and look at your list of users, look at your list of email users that you're paying for, and make sure no one is still in there that shouldn't be. As always, great thoughts. We'll call that a wrap for this week on covering the news and cyber updates. Check back next week for more to come, I'm sure. Thanks, guys. Have a great one, Roman. See ya.